Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. So, welcome everybody. There's, uh, I was thinking we're going to... We're going to enjoy these days or look back on these days with fond memories, so kind of embrace it, right? Enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. And, uh, and so Lauren and I, uh, in fact, I was thinking there's many of you come up to me and say, I just missed the days in the garage when we started and missed the ABC days. And not many of you come up and miss the Sandy Creek High School days, but... <laughs> But we're going to miss these days, and so we embrace it. I mean, one day we'll be meeting in this, have to meet in a beautiful building that's air-conditioned and has great facilities, but, and we'll be wishing we had open air, 78 degrees in October. So, but Lauren and I wanted to share just an update on building facilities. You can see some things are happening, and so... Uh, Let's try to give you a little longer than a one-minute update. And so, Lauren, why don't you, you head, start for us? Yeah, we just um, we want to include you all in this process as much as possible. If you've noticed, we've been doing a lot of little video excerpts. Um, you get those in an email or get those on our Bethel Atlanta Facebook page. Just we want to communicate every step of the way because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of movement and changes. And so... Um, as most of you know, about a month and a half ago, we've been, we were meeting on Saturday nights at Living Proof, and just we're feeling the Lord, um, even since July, to say there was something wonderful about one service. And as y'all remember, it just felt like God was showing up in a unique way, and worship was electric. And we felt like once the school ministry started, we were going to have to do something to keep it one service. And... Uh, we felt like that something was coming here. And after that, the Lord just started confirming with so many prophetic words and so many, um, so many unique ways to so many of us. So as you remember, Ron Book felt like the Lord was highlighting Nehemiah in the 52 days it took for him to build the wall. 52 days ended up being on September 9th, which was our first Sunday here. Uh, Hezekiah, mom had a dream about Hezekiah. And... We just started praying into what Hezekiah was doing, and then uh, you were feeling the urge for a Daniel fast, which ended up, we called that three weeks, not on, not on purpose, but it was three weeks before the September 9th day, and we all went on a Daniel fast together. I was driving to North Atlanta one day, and we were talking on the phone, should we go with October or September 9th is our first day on the property. I look up and I see a giant billboard that says the bridal showroom, September 9th, 2018. You're like, okay, God, you're so speaking to so many of us. It just felt like we have to just follow your voice. And we knew it was crazy. We knew we weren't ready to host people on this property, but we knew that we'd rather follow his voice than do anything else. And so... That's why we're here, week five on the property, five weeks of beautiful weather, just loving, yes. loving following his voice. So that's just a little backstory. If you missed any of that, it's on our Facebook page. We have videos of all those prophetic, prophetic moments, and just uh, inviting you in to, this is part of all of our story, that we prefer to hear his voice and obey than anything else that makes sense. So that's what we've been doing. Um, you know, so what we're doing for the next month and for the previous month is meeting in this style arena and praying for great weather. <laughs> we're, we've had it so far. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we've, you know, a few practical things that we do in this season is we show up between 9 and 10 because that helps our traffic flow on Far Road. Um, we have a coffee truck so that there's a reason to show up between 9 and 10. <laughs> so we appreciate you. We appreciate you drinking coffee. We appreciate you staggering your arrival. Um, that's been really helping us out. We also appreciate you bringing camp chairs. <laughs> we, uh, we bought 100 this week. If you haven't noticed all the Academy Sports ads on the back of your chair, those are for you. So, um, but it would help us. We have about 250 chairs, and if you can bring your own, that'll really help um, for anyone that doesn't have one. Uh, and so back in July, we started toward a purchase of a clear span tent. 
If you don't know what a clear span is, you drive down the highway and you see those giant, you know, cylindrical-shaped things that hold the tractors. That's what it is. And so we got pretty far down that process with Tyrone getting it permitted, and um, the price went from about fifty or sixty thousand to about one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty, because they started needing air condition and different things. And so they started treating it like a real building because we've never permitted a tent here in Tyrone. So that was just kind of becoming an energy and time takeaway. And we realized, okay, we actually need to throw our energy and time into our building and our money. And so we're ending up going to be purchasing a wedding tent that's three times this size. We'll have sides, we'll pump heat in it, and it will also have a nice floor. So just wanted you to know that process, that that shift happened. And it feels like a great shift. Like we would way rather spend our money on our buildings, spend our time on our buildings, spend our architect's time on our buildings. So that has been like a little bit of an evolution of our tent process. Um, you notice we've like upgraded our bathrooms. We've added our um, playground this week. So we're just taking steps. Our goal is just not to let a day go by without just taking a step in this direction. Because we have all of us on this property, open air. Um, one of our big prayers right now is we're trying to get a permit from Tyrone Road straight onto the property so we don't all have to come in off a of far road. So y'all can join us in prayer as we get that permitted. Mm -hmm. And um, that's in process. You can dive in if I'm missing things. You're doing great. Okay, great. <laughs> this, this is how I like it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so right now, our architects and our engineers are finishing the renderings and the schematics of our one-day building that's going to be right to my left. Um, and it's going to be beautiful and air-conditioned and beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, it's, and it's going to be really special. And so if you would just pray for that process. I mean, we're going to just keep prayers of all of us. We had a prophetic word probably five years ago from Paul Manwaring that said, it's time to have 300 shoulders behind this door knocking it over to get us onto this property. And so it is all of our responsibility. It's all of our invitation to pray like it's our own house that we're getting onto, like our own house that we're building in our, you know, on our land because it is. And so, you know, prayer requests are so far, that road permit, just the ease of the schematics and the architectural renderings for the main building. And, um, and then to the ease of permitting, permitting our, um, ne the next stage tent. So that's kind of where we're at, praying for good weather, as always. That needs to be top of the list. <laughs> yes, yes. And so um, I want to paint a picture of what this will look like in the near future. And right really at the corner where you see the, the white bathroom, beautiful, clean truck right there, um, that... Uh, that, that will be close to the front corner of our new building. We call it a barn, but really inside it will look, it will be a sanctuary, it will be children's area. On this, this side will be all the children's classes that feed into the, the playground there. On the far side, there'll be garage doors that kind of open up and go out into the air and look into the woods and for expansion. The Sanctuary will seat at least 500 with expansion more. Uh, there'll be a, a beautiful foyer, and it'll feel like the setting of a beautiful barn on the outside. And then we're going to make that building have the same roof and color and tie the two together like they were meant to be together. And so it'll be a beautiful complement in, uh, in a Pretty soon phase, behind you in that field would be an open-air covered uh, pavilion that we could meet like this outside, could do weddings, could do numbers of things. And so a building there, a building there, a building there, this will eventually be moved and, and really turned into more of a car courtyard or moved permanently to nothing and trash. So uh, it... and. And so a, a really a pouring out of the sanctuary into this area, a, a place to fellowship, a place for weddings. And then really in between, this area will be landscaped beautifully that 
you could uh, have your daughter's wedding here and be really proud of it, and it'd be just, we, I love grass, it's going to be nice grass right here, <laughs> so we're going to make it look great, and so we're going to keep this view, and we're fighting hard to keep that out there natural and beautiful, and a place that we can all enjoy, and parking will be back in the woods, back behind the building, so still we may always have a little overflow in the corral there, but uh, don't want to build a parking lot there is, uh, is our goal. And so I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're preserving this little lap around the lake. It's a, almost a half mile, and we're going to preserve that. There'll be walking trails through the woods, running trails, prayer trails, walking trails. One day in a further phase over there, where the red roof is a 24-7 prayer time where you can come any hour, any day, and meet the Lord. And so uh, a place that's yours, a place that's ours, a place that's safe, and a place for the generations. And so um, y'all, y'all are super patient people, and uh, there's a... <laughs> I think that wasn't said with an attitude. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, we are, dang it. Uh, uh, but, uh, but good things are worth waiting for, and uh, it's, uh, it's going to be here. So um, thank you, Lauren. Give her a big hand. Yeah. So as I'm sitting here, looking, getting a chance to look and not speak as Lauren's speaking. I see there's a number of places where you can't see me. Uh, behind that big black TV, there's uh, probably a half dozen people who can't see it. So you're welcome to move. You may be there on purpose not wanting to see me. <laughs> and, and back over here, I notice uh, you probably can't see my head. You can just see from my shoulder up, and uh, I'm going to assume that's not on purpose either. <laughs> So, welcome to move. If sun gets in your eyes, welcome to move. Amen? Amen. So, this is a message on starting strong, ending strong. After the service, uh, I'm going to uh, officiate a a funeral for a a woman who ended strong, a saint. And our our community lost a saint, uh, Ev Kelso. And uh, she's been a, a mom, a spiritual mom to many in our community, and so uh, part of this message is a tribute to her, but start strong and strong. It's a family saying that we start the year strong, we end it strong, we start a task strong, we try to end it strong. We begin with the end in mind. Wisdom is beginning with the end in mind. If you're new to the faith, if you've just been baptized in the last month, You've come to Christ in the last year too. Can you begin your faith with the end in mind? I wanted to share um, a few stories. There's, uh, I was young enough, or old, I'm old enough to remember just the beginning of the 68 Olympics. Anybody remember the 68 Olympics? And it was in Mexico. And uh, it's famous for a few things. It's famous for some sprinters that stood with, with black gloves in protest. Those were the 68 Olympics. There is famous for a man named Bremen who did a long jump, 55 centimeters longer than any person had ever done. That's about a foot and a half. He flew a foot and a half longer than any man had ever jumped. And for 23 years, that world record stood it was that's centuries in most things. Um, I was in a gym in Peachtree City a couple of years ago, and people were, there was a buzz. It was he was there in the gym working out, and there was something else that happened in that Olympics. There was a a runner, kind of nondescript. No one really knew him. His name was John Stephen Akwari. He wasn't supposed to win. He wasn't a famous runner. He was from Tanzania. 
And many of the runners were dropping out. You had the 80th best runners on the planet, and 20 didn't finish the marathon. The altitude of Mexico City, the air. And he got caught up in a scrum trying to fighting for position, and you know how the runners often are all boxed together, and they're trying to find their lanes, and they're trying to find their spot. And he got tripped up and dislocated his knee and fell on his shoulder. Already hurting from altitude. Start strong, end strong. We'll come back to him in a minute. But I wanted to share, in 30 years of being in church leadership, things that catch people up, that catch them or hurt them in their walk with the Lord, things that grieve pastors, things that make us cry in the night. And I want to share some of those as a foundational message so you can avoid it. If you're in the beginning of your journey, you'll avoid it. But I'm not taking for granted ending strong. Our school of ministry reads this book called God's Generals. The famous ones, the, the ones who we admire, the ones who, like Parm, that may have had a healing anointing like no other person that ever lived. But so many of those didn't always end strong. And, but Paul said, I, I run a race. And we're in a race that we are all on. So what are some of the things that catch believers? What are some of the things that get in our way? One is unspoken expectations. We, um, we come to church, there's this little, I'll give you a little inside joke of pastors. It's not a joke, it's actually, it's just, it's just a thing. It's the 18 to 24 month rule. A certain percentage of people come to church, not a high percentage, either with an agenda or I want to be on the worship team or I want to be on staff or I, wanna, I want this, I want to be the pastor's best friend and, I'm, and there's an internal clock, it's unspoken. But if it don't happen in that time, they get weird. And it just happens. And sometimes it's weird. It happens right before they were about to be promoted. It's happened so many times. Like, oh, we were about to ask you to do something there. So if you have an unspoken expectation, have the courage to speak it. Because if you speak it, the response might be, oh, that's awesome, let's do that. Or, oh, that's awesome, that might take a little longer than you think. Or the response might be, no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> you know? And, you can, and we can talk about it. If you find that you can't speak it, there may be a reason, like, oh, I'm afraid to speak that, or I don't like the, if you don't like the way it sounds coming out of your mouth, you might want to kill it. Unforgiveness catches people in their faith walk. I won't spend much time with this, but the only key out of some prisons is forgiveness. Sometimes we can only get out of a certain prison by forgiving our way out. And it goes without saying, I, sometimes I think God created, he showed us and manifested himself in a way that we could try to understand him as a father, as a son. He could have manifested himself in any other way, but he chose that way so that we would understand. And in human terms, his, his ways, higher than my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. But he came in a way as a, as a perfect son and a father who allowed his son to die, touching the human heart for every one of us who are a parent. No, we would die for our own child. And he touches the greatest love that we can know, the love of a mom and dad for a son or daughter, and the pain of seeing that one be lost. He came 
And he says, scary verses. Like, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Top 10 scariest verses in the Bible. (laughs) There are prisons that only the key of forgiveness can let us out of. Sometimes we get hurt with disappointment. And disappointment comes in so many ways. I have a brother-in-law who's a campus minister for almost 25 years, my next-door neighbor. His name's Rick Harper. He gave me permission to share the story. 25 years ago, they had just experienced their third miscarriage. He said, all my wife wanted was a baby. And he would share his, uh, with his interns, he'd share what he was going to preach, and they'd kind of work through sermons together. And that week, after the third miscarriage, he was preaching on faith. And in the middle of his discourse with his interns, he just put his book down. He said, why should I have faith? And one of his interns said, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for God. And you know, that verse is true, but sometimes the timing isn't just right. And he said, I felt like flipping them off. Another intern said, God plucked one of your roses because he need one in heaven. That one makes me hurl. And then one of the young interns, uh, who was quiet and almost stammered over his words, said, I really don't know about the miscarriages, but I, I do know God is crying with you. And that was the word he needed in the moment, to have faith. Disappointment creates a trauma, and we all live with pain and disappointment. I had a trauma moment when I was eight, and my parents, I remember, they sat down and said, we're getting a divorce, and my mom and my sister were going to move back to England, and me and my dad were going to stay together and move to Taiwan. I felt like they died. It was so painful, and two years of, I was a pretty angry little fourth grade kid, I'd get in a fight at the drop of a hat. And as the years went on, I was comforted with the fact that my parents were just did the best they could, and as I learned the forgiveness and grace, and I learned that they had broken parents, and they were the product of broken parent, grandparents, and they were the product, and they were just doing the best they could. Grace helped heal. What also helped heal was a couple of sozos. <laughs> and there was a moment in the sozo where... The leader of the Sozo took me back to a moment. And I, I remember exactly where we were sitting in the living room, where every person was sitting in the conversation. And I never really see when people say, see Jesus, I see black, I see nothing. But that day I saw a glimpse of the eyes of Jesus looking at me. And in that moment, in that vision, in that encounter, I saw fullness of love. I saw understanding. I saw that he knew and was there. And healing comes when you realize Jesus understands. We get broken in our disappointments, and the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. For God set up this world 
not to make us robots, but a world of free will. The other thing that helped me was just to realize there's a, the world is broken. It ain't perfect. And since sin has unraveled, that things just aren't always the way they're supposed to be. But the Lord came back as a perfect sacrifice, and he's come back in a way that he wants us to be restored and to become oaks of righteousness and to become overcomers. He didn't say the world... We, we kind of live in a world where it's easy to get from preachers like, come to Jesus and everything will be perfect. You can even go to a church where they talk about reigning in life all the time. Which is totally true, but miss the point that reigning in life doesn't necessarily mean there are no problems or issues. It's an overcoming life to become overcomers so that one day we'll be part of restoring our city. He says trials and tribulations will come. He says when they come, not if they come, when they come. Check this verse out. I wasn't going to use it, but... um, Beautiful young lady on the front row worshiping today had this on the, her back of her shirt. That's a sign enough for me and my culture. So, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that you might have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. There's a beautiful key in that. It's a sandwich. The bottom piece of bread is peace. The meat of the message is you're going to have tribulation. And on the top piece of bread is I've overcome the world. And when you get in me, you become an overcomer. Peace and an overcoming spirit in the middle of tribulation. When you have trials and troubles, he's promising peace and a heart that Christ the overcomer, Christ the winner, Christ the one who's leading us to reign in life. Disappointment creates a trauma in believers that sometimes is hard to overcome. And it raises sometimes questions. God, are you there? God, are you good? God, what about me? God, why am I second class? Do I belong? Why is this happening to me and not someone else? And we get into comparison. We get into... Anybody been there? The questions. He's not afraid of our questions. The God of truth isn't afraid of questions. I'm a salesman, and uh, a particular product I sell, when my clients start wanting to know more and get deeper and get smarter and peel back the onion, like, I love it. (laughs) Because I think the more they know, the better I like it. That's how confident I am in my product. The God of all universe isn't afraid of our questions. The embodiment of truth isn't afraid of our questions. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist, think about him. He, He actually knew Jesus from the womb. Remember, he leapt in the womb when Jesus was in Mary's womb. He knew Jesus as a cousin growing up with Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. Remember at the baptism, he sees John, he sees Jesus coming. Behold the Lamb of God. He knew who Jesus was. Behold, he said, I've got to decrease so he can increase. He knew who Jesus was. He saw the baptism. He saw God say, This is my son in whom I well please. He saw a dove. He knew who Jesus was. But in Matthew 11, 
He's sitting in a prison waiting to die. And a moment of doubt and a question came. Are you really the one, Jesus? Are you really the one? God's not afraid of your questions. In fact, he wasn't offended. He wasn't offended by John the Baptist's question. If you read the passage, he starts bragging about John right after that. How does he answer John's question? Are you really the one? Tell him the lame walk. Tell him the blind see. He's not afraid. There's no self-pity in Jesus. Do a study sometime when Jesus gets challenged or betrayed. There's no self-pity. Tell him the lame walk. He didn't send a million angels to comfort him. He didn't send a thousand angels to knock down the prison and let him out. John the Baptist could have been offended. Like, why aren't you? We're going to get to heaven and it says you're going to know all things. And all these little questions are going to come back into play and we're going to instantly know. We will know why John the Baptist wasn't rescued from prison. Your personal questions are going to get answered, even if you care. You may not care. He's good, isn't he? We all have questions. You know, when your kids start questioning you, it's good, 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 good. And then they do something and it's crossed the line. You know, they're having fun. We're all doing, having fun, question, question, question. And then they say something about their mama and it gets you out of your seat. Like, you don't say that about your mama. You know, there's certain questions, like, there's a point, like, and then they cross the line. Sometimes I think we do that with God. Like, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Uh, uh. Think about the story of Job. So Job, I would argue, may have been the most righteous man on earth. He scoured, God scoured the earth and said, have you considered my servant Job? So let's just presuppose He's more righteous than any of us. Will you give me that? Will you give me the fact that he went through more trauma than any of us? God took everything or allowed it to go. It's a whole other message on Job. Let's go. Let's, don't even go there. Just stay with me. Everything got lost. The devil only left his nagging wife. I'm going to pay for that one. (laughs) He started higher. He went lower than any of us. More trauma, more pain, more loss. God left his noble friends, noble wealthy men who kept giving him bad advice. And for 37 chapters of Job, we put up with all this story. And eventually, God's patience was done. Sometimes I think in our questioning God, it's okay to question him, but sometimes I think we lose the awe and the fear of the Lord and the wonder and the gratitude. I think we can question him all day long as long as we leave the fear of the Lord and the awe of God and the majesty. The fear of the Lord, it's an interesting term. I don't know that I totally understand it, but it, it doesn't mean you're afraid like a tiger's coming into the room. It's not afraid like somebody's drifting into my lane and about to hit me head on. C.S. Lewis has some insight into the fear of the Lord. One of the places 
where it shows up is in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And you know the story of Aslan, the lion. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The fear of the Lord is somehow taught in awe and wonder and holiness. Somewhere in that Isaiah's, he came close, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's reverence. It's awe. It's majesty. It's his presence. It says, by humility... And by fear of the Lord are honor and riches and life. How do we end strong? By humility. By humility and the fear of the Lord. There's things that come up when humans interact that we just don't know the answer to. Bless those kids. Aren't they awesome going to their new playground for the very first time. By humility and the fear of the Lord are honor and riches and life. Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of made a judgment about a certain situation and you you thought you knew what was going on, You you, you, you thought you had an answer you thought, you had it figured out. And one little piece of data came in, and it changed everything. And you're like, oh, oops, forget that. Everything's okay now. I think when we get to heaven, there are going to be a lot of those moments. Like, oops, oh, I see, uh, uh-uh, oh. Wow, didn't see it that way. You'll know all things, you'll be known. By humility. Humility. I don't know everything. I've been in enough church stuff, like you just don't know everything. The whole story doesn't always come out. By humility. And fear of the Lord are honor and riches and life. To walk in humility, I just don't always know. Judge not that you won't be judged. By humility and fear of the Lord are honor and riches and life. Be careful not to be offended and get picked off. Paul ran the good race. That marathoner named John Stephen, that's a good Christian name, John Stephen. He hobbled home to the finish line about an hour and a half This may be a point you want to listen to. They're honking. (laughs) So somebody will find their horn. He began to hobble home. He was more than an hour and a half after the... He was last by an hour and a half. And he got interviewed at the end. There were still a few thousand spectators waiting, amazingly. 
a nondescript runner from a nondescript place. They said, why didn't you just quit like the others? He said, my, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to end a race. And we're talking about Stephen Mark today for ending a race well. We're called to start strong and strong. I've been talking about playing defense. I want to talk just a few minutes as we close about playing offense in our faith. You know, it takes more energy to play defense. If you've played basketball, to cover someone takes a little more energy than to, to dribble and shoot. If you've played football, to run a route takes less energy than to cover someone who's running a route, especially if there's two or three moves like you are busting energy to stay with them. But to play offense is more fun. And there's a play, and I feel like our church is on is the, the, the question, the whisper of the Holy Spirit is, would you be holy as I am holy? There's a, there's a pathway to holiness that says, I'm in gratitude and I'm madly in love with the one I'm gazing upon. Gaze upon the Lord. Glance at this other stuff. Gaze upon the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you by humility and fear of the Lord or honor and riches in life. Gaze upon the Lord. And glance. And as we fall in love, and I'm catching, I'm seeing ones in our midst living a life of passion, love with the Father. They're, they're actually uh, pulling me. They're actually convicting me. They're actually rising up like green shoots in a field, an environment that's saying, look, look, passionate followers of the Lord, gazing upon the Lord and glancing at circumstances in life. The pathway to holiness, having our minds washed with the watering word of the Lord, being conformed to the image of Christ, having the word of God actually becoming his spirit, testifying with my spirit, the word of God speaking to me almost like it's in me, almost uh, as a computer, I'm filling up the disk and the Holy Spirit saying, what about that verse? What about that verse? Holy Spirit testifying with my spirit, my spirit through the word of God. The washing water of the word while we're madly in love because we'll do for things for love that we'd never do out of duty. Offense is doing it out of love. Defense is duty. Out of duty, hey, stay, stay unoffended. Out of duty, I'll be, un, I'll be forgiven. Out of duty, by humility and fear of the Lord. Out of duty, but out of love, you chase your lover. When you're in love, you do crazy stuff. I used to... I used to... Crazy stuff. You'll just yell at any time in the service. You just because you're in love. You all know when you're, you know, when you're in love. Like I can remember studying till eleven o'clock in the library. They close the library, send you out, and I'd walk down the hill back to my dorm from Georgia Tech and get in the car and drive to Hateville and go to the original dwarf house and meet my girlfriend Lindy at eleven thirty at night. <laughs> Do crazy stuff because you're in love. Eat a hot brown and a couple glasses of iced tea and, a, you know, all the stuff you used to be able to eat. <laughs> Fried apple pie, extra ice cream. Look at the one you love. Dream. 
or drive to Auburn just to see, drive two hours and a half to Auburn to see him for 35 minutes, drive two and a half hours back, crazy stuff. Now, like 35 years of marriage, I ain't doing that. I'm just being real. What about a community that's so fallen in love that they will drive five hours to see their bride for 30 minutes? Gazing upon the one we love. The rhema word of God, hearing his voice and running to obey when we hear it. The word of God, washing water of the word of God, conforming us to the image of Christ, playing offense from a place of love. Holiness marked by a thousand road marks of obedience. That's our call. I catch people falling for philosophies. Um, dear friends who caught up in the new latest and greatest. But at the end of the day, it's saying, I don't know if the Bible is really infallible or it's I don't know if God is good anymore or I don't know if God's idea of sexuality of man and a woman in marriage is really what I want to live around anymore or I don't know If I believe there's a hell. And I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't know. And this is, these are questions being asked of our generation, our age. But I ask myself, you know, our call is one that's not called to be easy. And it's not called to be one of no resistance. And one of the tests of something, if it's an error for me, is I get to a fork in the road. Which one's easy and which one's more like the system of the world? And if you go down each one of those paths, they tend to be what the world is preaching, not what, the, what Christ is preaching. And we're, our call is not necessarily an easy path. Our heroes were people who are martyred for their faith. They didn't get there by the easy path. The path of least resistance makes men and rivers crooked. Our call is a path that often feels more difficult. When you came to Christ, it wasn't easier. I was a 17-year-old come to Christ. My friends were all drinking and smoking dope. It wasn't easier to say no. All friends chasing women, it's not easier to say no. My friends and I, foul mouth, it wasn't necessarily easier to say no. We always walk in a path of more resistance. It takes courage. It takes grace. Stand strong. The philosophies of the world that come to these forks in the road. It's easier not to believe in hell. It's easier to believe sex for whoever, whenever, whatever. It's easier to believe the way of these other paths. But there's safety in knowing that I'm lined with my pastor I'm lined with my spiritual fathers, the apostles. I'm lined with the word of God. I'm lined with church fathers 
and mothers of hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm lined with the word of Jesus. I'm lined with the Holy Spirit who's a deposit, guaranteeing something in the future coming. I'm lined up with those things, and I feel safety there. Start strong, end strong. You've been bought with a price. You gave me a new song once. You've been called, you've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. We've been called to finish the race like Paul. Or like John Stevens said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to not finish. You weren't called by the Son of God, by the Lord of Lords, by the King of Kings to not finish, to not finish well. You've been called to be a courageous one, a one full of God, a one, a prayerful one, a holy one, a righteous one, a defender of the faith, and one that tracks people to you, one that is a winner of souls, a one that prophesies life, one that heals the sick. That's your call on your life. These signs will follow those who believe. They'll raise the dead. They'll cleanse the lepers. They'll heal the sick. These signs will follow those who believe. Ending strong. There is a reward in heaven. We all grew up probably thinking, you get to heaven by being good and we're all the same when we get there. It's actually the opposite. You're not there by being good. You're there by the blood of Christ and and him. But when you get there, I believe there will be different rewards. There will be rewards for an Ev Kelso who finished strong, a mother in her community, mentoring young men and women throughout, quietly praying, quietly leading people to the Lord, quietly living a life filled with God. Start strong, end strong. It's our call. You've been bought with a price. Finish well. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.